Over the last two decades, I've been on a quest to learn everything I can about leadership, obsessed with what makes the best leaders so good. After running companies small and large for the last 20 years, today I speak on stages all across the world to audiences who are interested in that same question. My name's John Laredo, and I'm your host. I invite you to join me on this journey as we explore this topic, what makes the best leaders so good. Welcome to Tomorrow's Leader. All right. So today's guest, I got referred to by Jim Kachmar, a friend of mine. So Jim, thank you for the intro. So Alex Ave Laliman, he has been a foreign service officer and diplomat with the U.S. State Department. And uh, he is on his way right now, as you're listening to this, uh, to Zimbabwe to start his uh, next role, next assignment as consular section chief at the U.S. Embassy in Zimbabwe. So Really cool guy, fascinating story, and lots of great leadership lessons. This guy has seen a lot, been to a lot of places, a lot of different cultures. So uh, we talked about stuff uh, involving leading different styles of people, different cultures, different situations, dealing with stress, building the right team, being open as a leader, transparency, all kinds of really good stuff packed in the next 45 minutes. So without any further ado, here's Alex. All right, welcome to today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader, where we dive deep on all things leader-related, related to leading yourself and leading others. I have got a great guest on today. I'm really excited to have Alex Avelalamont. Um, did I say that right again? You got it. Yeah, that was <laughs> good. It. All right, yeah. I practiced a number of times. Uh, who is uh, joining me from uh, Houston on his way to some significant, exciting travels, which we'll get into. Uh, Alex is the consular section chief at the U.S. Embassy in Zimbabwe, or soon to be. Uh, he's been a foreign service officer and diplomat with the U.S. Depart uh, US uh, Department of State for the last 20 years, I believe, correct? Excellent. That's correct. So uh, really happy to have you, Alex. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Happy to be on here. Really uh, hope we can have a nice discussion today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I know we will. So You've got so many interesting things that we can talk about, and I love having different, diverse leaders, people who have had all kinds of different experiences. You have had, no doubt, some unbelievable experiences, so uh, I'd love to get into that a little bit. But maybe a great starting point, why don't you share with the audience, and maybe in really layman's terms, what it is that you do, and especially what you're about to do. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so my kind of broad career title is diplomat. I'm a career diplomat uh, um, as a foreign service officer for the United States government with the United States Department of State. And as you noted, I've been doing that for about 20 years. Um, and uh, in some respects, we, 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 well, I mean, it's just what it sounds like. We move around the world. Our main goal is in various different ways to advance the American interest. Uh, and as we like to say, do the work of the American people overseas. Um, and also domestically, I mean, we also work in Washington and a few other places, uh, and we work in embassies and consulates around the world in a variety of different fields and functions. Uh, I'll be consular section chief, which is uh, the capital of Zimbabwe. Consular work has uh, got a couple different functions that are actually quite important for, for as far as the American people go. One is uh, we take care of American citizens overseas. If you even simple services, for example, if your passport expires, you lose it and you need a new passport, we can provide a new passport for you. If you get thrown in jail, so we get more complex. If you get thrown in jail, we'll, we'll come and visit you in jail. We, we're not lawyers. We don't get you out of jail, but we'll come and make sure that you're being treated properly in jail. 
And another part of it also is, is issuing uh, visas for foreigners wanting to come to live, work, study in the United States. Um, so that's the consular part of it. But there's other things we do as well. We, we keep abreast of policy issues. Uh, we do economic reporting. Um, we do public diplomacy, public affairs, press stuff. Uh, and we're all over the world. There's, I think, less than 10,000 of us total uh, foreign service officers in the world. Um, but we're all over. We have 250 or some odd different uh, embassies and consulates around the world. And that's, that's kind of where we work, plus at the headquarters building in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Well, that's incredible. And that's important work that you do. So where where else have you been? I know you've been all over the place. You've gone to some yeah. exciting places. Where, where have you been? Well, I'll go back in time. So starting with the most recent working back, um, I just spent the last year in Afghanistan working on the peace process between the government and the Taliban. Uh, before that, I was the regional refugee coordinator for South Asia based in Kathmandu, Nepal. Before that, I was working in the head of the visa operation at our consulate general in Hong Kong. Before that, I spent uh, two years working in a field location in eastern Afghanistan, uh, advising the military and Afghans on governance and development. Um, before that, I was the head of the consular section in our embassy in Qatar and Doha. I spent four years working in Washington um, and then... I was uh, in Greece before that, and then my first assignment was in Barbados. So all over the world. Greece and Barbados, that sounds nice. What was your favorite place? (laughs) You know, I get asked that a lot, and I don't have a really good answer to it. Um, uh, Every job, every position has had its, has been, I know it sounds kind of like a dodge, but it's true. There's been something great about every job I've had. Um, I'd liked every one of them for different reasons. uh, even Afghanistan, Afghanistan was one of the most, some of the most rewarding work I've done. Uh, if I had, if you really like put a gun to my head and made me say, I'd probably say Hong Kong. Uh, yeah. Hong Kong was great. Really? What was great about it? I've, I've heard amazing things about it. What did you like most about it? Um, it's a very dynamic city, uh, lots to do. Um, uh, really good kind of everything, good location for travel around Asia. So while we were there, um, we, uh, we traveled all over East and, and kind of yeah, East Asia and, and even into Mongolia. So we got to see a lot of stuff from there. Um, it's easy place to get around. We didn't even have a car. You can get taxis or take a bus or take the, the subway there. And, uh, it's just got a very good vibe to it. I think it's, it's, it's yeah. like if you put Manhattan in a Hawaiian Island almost or something like that, it was pretty neat. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, you have yeah. got, you've got, I mean, you know, let's face it, most people don't travel abroad ever in their life and you've been all over the world and, and you're still a young guy. You get a whole life ahead of you here. So, uh, is that just the way you've been wired like your whole life for you? I mean, cause a lot of people would be super uncomfortable doing that much moving around and stuff. Is that just, it's yeah, something you love? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a very selective entrance process actually. And historically it's, it's super hard to get in. Um, and we, we test for a lot of things, you know, aptitude, intellectual ability, stuff like that. But one thing that's very hard to test for that I actually think might be one of the keys to being able to, to really hack it long term in this career is resiliency, is, is being hardwired for it. And, you know, you can develop that, obviously, uh, but I think I've probably been hardwired for that anyway. I, I know before I, I joined the Foreign Service, I had friends that I was, I was moving around a lot of different places. And uh, I, I had people who called me their vagabond friend because I was always going from place to place. So I think it kind of kind of uh yeah it's probably just kind of something that was in me you know yeah yeah well I mean, it's got to wear on you though at some point you got to be like well all right i'm done i, I just want to stay put especially if you find a place you really love you don't want to leave <laughs> yeah you know there's, there's there's two sides to the coin right it, it's it's like on the plus side you're always going to new places making new friends learning new skills at work and all that 
But on the minus side, once you get used to a place and you made some friends and you kind of got used to your job, it's time to go. Yeah. So th there are pluses and minuses to it. And I notice it with my kids. Now they have kids, um, you know, they, it affects them too. You know, they're always having to move schools and stuff like that. And, and people say, oh, it's a great experience to grow up overseas. And I always tell this anecdote about my kids. Like if you asked them, would, would you rather ride a horse, an elephant or a camel? They could give you an educated, informed opinion because they've done all that. Wow. You know, like they've ridden a camel in the Gobi Desert, right? <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> that's not a common thing for an American kid to do. No. <laughs> um, so there's a trade-off. But yeah, I think you can feel it at times. It's how with the, the COVID situation. I know, um, you know, my family is really feeling it and wanting to just kind of someplace and yeah. kind of just stay but uh yeah then after a few years you kind of start getting restless again i don't know once it's in your blood it gets in your blood i guess yeah let me ask you this because this kind of good good uh, segue into leadership you know a big a challenge that people have especially now they're dealing with all the stresses of covid and staying in and you know a whole change of life um you've dealt with life changes throughout your whole life in an immense immense way um i mean how do you as a leader how do you keep leading effectively? How do you make sure that you're the best version of yourself when you might be not feeling the best version of yourself? How do you make sure you're still effective as a leader? Is there anything that you do or how do you, what, do you, what would you say about that? Yeah, I think that that hits to, so there's a couple of things. Number one, I think to me, um, first of all, you, everyone will know if you're having a bad day and trying to put on a good face and and be authentic about it. So the first most important thing to me is you still always, no matter what the situation is, you got to be authentic to who you are. Otherwise people, I think will see through it. Um, and, and, you know, I think we have this myth about leadership that is propagated to a large extent by our media or whatever, I don't know, by our Hollywood or whatever, that leader has to just kind of be always be okay. This is great. Everything's great. You know, it's, it's okay to say, man, this is jacked up. This is a messed up situation and we're going to make the best out of it. I think, for me, uh, just going back to my last job where I was, I was originally the deputy counselor for peace and reconciliation at the embassy in Kabul, which is the, the office that supports the Afghan peace process, uh, which is, is to some extent driven out of Washington by a special representative. But our office was the backstop of the special representative and had to work with a bunch had to work with our embassy, our ambassador, our number two person in the embassy deputy mission. And also there's a four-star NATO commander. We had to work with them because these are all people who had big play, big equities in the peace process. Um, and then COVID happened and my boss, who is the actual person in charge of that got sent home because he was a high risk. And so, and then another person got sent home, got evacuated from the embassy too. So a chunk of my team suddenly was, was teleworking from the United States. And then we went on this big lockdown because COVID started creeping onto our embassy compound. So I couldn't even see the rest of my team that was left. Um, you know, this is all happening in a war zone while everyone's separated from their family. So pretty, pretty, uh, you know, cause you can't take your family to Afghanistan. So pretty yeah. trying circumstances, if you think about it. Yeah. Um, and, and I found that, uh, a couple things actually that, that we did that, that kind of evolved that really, you know, I took guns from my team on and, and, and really helped. Uh, I should point out first that I hate meetings. I absolutely hate meetings that I just don't like them. Um, but I, I began to discover the value in having a morning virtual huddle with my team every day. Um, and normally I think these are crazy, whatever, you know, Bob, it's just a chance for us to get together and not talk about anything. We could all be working because, you know, it's a lot of work we're doing out there. Um, but we developed kind of this, 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 uh, this routine during the day where I would call into the big staff meeting and immediately thereafter I would call my team that was in, 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 in Kabul in the same time zone. And we would kind of, I'd, I'd, 
the purpose of it was to kind of brief out what happened in the first meeting, the kind of the big staff meeting, but the real purpose of it was to talk to everybody and have some human communication and all that. And then to get, get a sense from what my team members were doing um, throughout the day. And it also became a chance then for, for like, if I was having a bad day, I'd just be like, guys, <laughs> and they're all women, but I still call them guys, you know, this kind of informal like that, but like, guys, I gotta be honest with you, I'm having a crappy day. Why don't one of you guys brief first? Um, and so they would brief. And then when they were having a crappy day, they would do that too. And it became a chance for us to really share our experiences, even though we were, you know, we were all like living in apartments a few hundred feet from each other, but we couldn't meet in person a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and there and so, I would assume, I mean, you've, you're dealing with so much stress as it is. Exactly. Yeah. That, that human yeah. contact with your exactly. friends and colleagues has got to be critical. Yeah. Exactly. And so making a rhythm out of it. And, and, and then I think you could just be honest too. If you're not having a good day, you got to be honest about it. I think to me, if you humanize yourself as a leader, it just makes it stronger. You, you know, again, false expectation that leaders got to be flawless and, and, and always know the right thing. And I, I never try to do that. I, I, I'm always upfront about, about my own, you know, when I, when I first start, you know, talking to my colleagues or whatever, when like someone's coming to work for me, I usually take them to lunch and we just go for expectations and stuff. And I'm always very clear about my own strengths and weaknesses. And I, and I say, I expect you to, to, you know, I don't expect you to be perfect. We, we're going to communicate, you know, I expect you to tell me when I mess up and, and, mm -hmm. and I want you to do that. And I'll take it. I don't take it personally yeah. um, because I need to know. And so kind of extend that kind of broader. Like I just try to be as transparent about myself as I can with, yeah. with the people. I think that's know, great. And that, you know, I, th that's a question I know a lot of leaders have. It's like, okay, well, we're, some are, are at that, that stance that, okay, I can't show my vulnerability. I can't show, I can't let people know when I'm a, ba a bad day because I'm not going to be an effective leader. Your perspective is that makes you more relevant, relatable. Um, but the difference is you're showing them that, Hey, listen, yeah, I'm having a bad day, but here's how I operate and still go through it and still lead, lead myself through it. That's yeah. what it sounds like they're getting from you. Yeah. I mean, look, a, a leader or not a leader, you're still a person. You're still a human and humans feel things and humans have emotions. And, and, you know, everyone is dealing, especially in this, this day and age, we're all dealing with a lot of uncertainty. And in that environment, I was dealing with all that stuff, plus my family being away and, and, um, you know, I, I think it can be a sign of, you know, you can still be effective if you're, you're not having a great day. Um, I think it's a sign of strength to be honest about that more than trying to show like you're strong, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I know that I've, the encounters I've had with people who've been, you know, I've worked for when they kind of have that moment of humanity and, and just be like, ah, oh, man, I'm having a crappy day. <laughs> I'm like, cool. You're just like the rest of us. And, yeah. and to me, it's, it's, it's when you're inauthentic, that's when people start to question kind of you undercut your effectiveness in that situation, I think. Yeah, I, I agree 100 percent. And you break down trust, too, when people don't people need to understand who you are as a leader. I think leaders that that have this, uh, you know, barrier up and don't let people see into them and who they are. Those are the ones that never they, they struggle to develop tight relationships, followers, loyalty. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a big rift there. Right. Yeah, I, I think people will forgive all kinds of stuff as long as they have trust. And mm -hmm. as they long and 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 like my ambassador that was there for the most part um, when I was there, like he would he would, you know, we were living in a war zone, and every once in a while people would die, like uh, soldiers that were there, or whatever. And we talk about it, and you could see him get emotional and kind of start tearing up a little bit. And 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 to me, I thought that was great. And a lot of people we talked about it afterwards, like we have again, a leader's not supposed to show that kind of emotion, but uh, like it reinforces how much you care in that mm -hmm. situation. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think, uh, uh, it's, it's 
already got enough pressure on yourself generally as a leader of any kind, to be honest with you, you know, leadership in general is involves taking on more, more pressure. Yeah. Um, you don't need to add the pressure of having to be perfect too. Yeah. Talking about pressure. So, I mean, I can't even imagine you're, you're in Afghanistan and trying to help and manage the peace process there between Taliban and Afghan people. I mean, what, what was that like and what was the stress level there or the level of tension at times? Was it high? Uh, you know, I think what our team did, and we had a really good team, um, we did a really good job of, of depersonalizing the stress from the, like the inner office dynamics never reflected the stress we were working on. And yeah, it was a ton of stress. And when, when, for example, the special representative would visit from Washington, there were, there would be times we'd be working 90 hours a week. Um, and sometimes more, I mean, ridiculous hours. And so, I mean, you, there's a lot of different strategies you gotta, you, you take to that. I think part of it too is, is as the guy who was often in charge of the office, um, when either my boss was on leave or when he got evacuated, and also my boss is a great leader, did the same thing. We also have responsibility to set the tone when you walk in the door. And so, yeah, you can be in a bad mood, but what you can't, you know, to me, the way to handle it, I want you to know I'm in a crappy mood and it's not your fault, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, you know, because you come in in a bad mood and you're all grumbling, people are going to naturally be like, well, what did I do? Why did, why are they, are they mad at me? People are going to wonder that. So if you can kind of get that out of the way and just be like, Hey, just so you know, I'm not even going to lie. It's all messed up right now. I'm in a bad mood. We're in a tough spot right now, but let's just get that, you know, get it out in the open. That's good. But I think most days yeah. I just try to walk in yeah. and I'm pretty lucky. I mean, I, I really like what I do. So it's, 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 it's authentic, but I come in and uh, I'm generally happy to see the people I work with mm -hmm. and I will come in and every morning I say, Hey, to every person in the office, say, Hey, how you doing? How's everything? You know, you feeling all right today? You know, and you kind of learn their cues that if they're not super feeling like talking because they're under a ton of stress because they got to do the, the schedule for the day or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. for the, 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 all the meetings and stuff yeah. that you, you learn to give them a want to get it you know you they, they want to work and that you don't want to mess them up yeah. you kind of you know you develop that bond with your team and so um but for me a lot of it just came in just every morning and just from the first step i walked in setting the tone with with you know hey good to see you how you doing and yeah. really being genuinely interested in, in in the people that you work with you know it's, and that, that i think from there and then just again if you could come in and be like guys just it's not your fault but i'm in a crappy mood you know my, my wife yelled at me because she's frustrated too or yeah. you know whatever yeah. which which happens you know over our, our, our daily whatsapp call or whatever and it's nothing to do with you guys yeah. you know i think that helps too and then i think the other thing as the one of the things i worked really hard at um as in my role uh my last job just to go back to that example one is to build that bond on the floor with the, the team members and and really develop you know not just bilaterally between me and them, but also with the whole team. So they really worked as a strong team. I put a lot of work into that up front in my first few months there. And then the other thing is then just to take the, I always tell people, you know, I told you I have these like kind of sit down lunches with people. And one of the things I say is like, look, I'm happy to, if it goes right, I'm happy to give you all the credit in the world. If it goes wrong. It's still my responsibility. Cause I, you know, I tasked a job to you. Right. And if you, if it didn't go well, it's still ultimately my responsibility to make sure what happens. So I would say, if it goes wrong, I take all the blame. If it goes right. I, you, I, you get all the credit. And so a lot of then what it is then is, you know, if the, if the people upstairs, you know, in the C-suite or in my office, in my, we call them the front office, you know, in my line of work, you know, if they got, or, or another unit in the embassy or in the office, you know, like has an issue, you know, I'm the lightning rod for that. Or my boss would be, mm -hmm. we'd be the lightning rod. For that. So we take all that heat so that they can still operate. And then of course, part of that is like, if they do, you know, make a mistake or something like that is then I always try to look at it kind of from a, a forward looking perspective, like, okay, well, this is what, can you tell me what happened? Okay. Okay. I see. Okay, good. All right. In the future, let's do it this way. Let's try that, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think your team knows, 
Do you think that helps people take more risks and feel more comfortable? Because I think a lot of people, you know, are, are, are afraid of failing because of the opposite. They may have a leader that, you know, harp, you know, comes down on them hard or something like that. You're, you're putting it out there and making the person feel like, Hey, listen, it's okay. If you fail, I'd almost feel if you were my leader, like, okay, Hey, Alex has got my back. So, you know, I'm, I'm okay stretching and pushing and, you know, yeah. trying some new things. And I don't even view that as a failure. I mean, that might be a semantic choice, but like, you know, if you're batting a thousand, you're not taking enough risks in a certain extent. Now, there, yeah. You have to be judicious and smart about it, certainly in government where we're generally more conservative about doing stuff. But, but, um, and that's also part of the trust you build where you, you, you know, you build, you, you try to give them a sense of your vision of what you want and what you understand the people of, you know, the bosses want, and then give them that leeway. And then, always be ready to apply some corrective feedback so they can refine what it is that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's another thing Then, like, for example, I remember, uh, and the, 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 the deputy chief of mission or embassy is very super smart, formidable person. Who's a big mentor of mine. Um, but also, you know, we'll pick up on mistakes quite quickly and call them out. And I remember I went to a meeting once and, and I didn't print up enough copies of the agenda, right? Like that's a stupid rookie mistake. Right. But it was, it was, it was, you know, I was the one running the meeting and so everyone walks in and the ambassador's like, Where, where's the agenda? And, and, and my whole team is there and they're all mortified, right? And I just said, um, that's my responsibility, sir. I totally messed up. I should have printed more copies of the agenda. You can have my responsibility for that. And when then they went and saw that, um, that you know, their, my team saw that their boss was ready to just go right off and submit responsibility and all that. That kind of helped too, that they know that I'm not, you know, they could see right now. Because I could have said, oh, Stephanie or, you know, whoever was supposed to print the copies of the agenda um, but ultimately it was my responsibility to make sure the, the copies got there and they yeah. didn't. So I say, I take full responsibility for that, whatever. Yeah. See that, that you're, you know, you're, you're willing to take, you know, kind of live up to that, what you talk about, you know, it, yeah. I think it, yeah, you, they, they, you owned it. Yeah. Which yeah. is, you know, and that builds ownership in the, in the whole organization. I mean, yeah. you know, when they, when they, when they see you own that, uh, you know, that, that helps them understand, listen, you're not. You're not pointing fingers. I mean, I've worked in environments like that before. I worked in, in an environment where the the boss was always the first one to take the credit and then pass the blame, yeah. Uh, yeah. which builds a a toxic culture. Yeah, that know? kills morale quick. Oh, and God, and totally. You know, in, in these environments, we're very pitched and heated. That's, you know, you, you can be forgiven for a lot. Again, if you're if, but as long as you're being true to yourself, I think, and being honest and and. Um, you know, and, and again, taking responsibility because that's my job. My job is to take resp- to make sure that things worked properly. And if things weren't working properly, it ultimately fell on my shoulders. Yeah. You know, and if you, there's all kinds of course corrections you can do to make things sure things work properly. And, and I got feedback, you know, from the top when things weren't going well. And I said, okay, I'm on it. I'll yeah. take care of it. Yeah. My responsibility, but I'll take care of it, you know? And uh, it's not, I think it's, it's again, the, the pressure that you have to be perfect is, is, is we have that a lot and that's unfair. It's, it's yeah. inaccurate, you know? Yeah. And, and I try to model that. Like when I messed up, if I made a mistake, like if I incorrectly, you know, made a mistake while talking to one of my staff members or whatever, and they called it out, I'd be like, Oh shit, you're right. Okay. Sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're totally right. Got it. You know? And, yeah. and, and it doesn't happen all that often because I pride myself on doing the best I can and being good at what I do. But you know, like, again, you can't be perfect in yeah. anything, you know? So let me ask you side. So I, I, I know a question also leaders deal with a lot is okay. Everybody wants a team of a players and you know, it's okay. How do I track day players? But you know, what do you do when you have, if you've, it sounds like you build a great team, you got a lot of a players, but you may not have all a players. You may have one that's a B or a C uh, or C minus or a D. I mean, what do you do when you've got somebody like that? 
uh, how do you how do you deal with it? How do you deal with that relative to the A players and how frustrated yeah. they may be? I mean, what's the leadership that you do? That's a good question. And I'll be honest, like as a starting point, we're pretty lucky. The foreign service, like I said, is very selective. And the general kind of person that comes into foreign service is pretty hardworking and, and really wants to get out there. And, 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 you know, we get people who I had a guy working for me once who was working for a private equity firm, took a huge pay cut to join the foreign service because he just believed in that kind of mission in the, in the public service aspect of it. So we already were dealing with a pretty kind of high functioning group of people. Um, you know, it's a good question. I think, um, you know, it's easy once again to come to the conclusion that this person who's not performing well is doing it because they are incompetent or contrarian or just don't get it. And that can be true. And I've seen people like that, you know, for sure. But in my experience, before you can make that assumption, you got to be sure that, that that's the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, everyone can't be a superstar, you know, uh, I think what, what I what I try to do in the situation is first of all is really just kind of try to get an understanding of what's going on. Why aren't they performing at the level that maybe they should? What is it about it? Okay, now that we know that, okay, is there are there things that we can do to to improve their capacity, improve their skill set, improve their ability to do that, um, and open that communication. And, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the downsides of this line of work we, we were talking about, and people are moving all this, is that it's very easy for a manager or an employee to wait someone out knowing that like oh that person's leaving in a year and and not to, and that's one of the biggest actually as an organization the biggest issues we come up against is that it's you're disincentivized sometimes to take the time to kind of document performance or or you know poor performance or something like that because you know that one of the two you may be moving on soon so so you can shunt it off to the next person i, I view that as a total failure of leadership uh even if you can't bring about a conclusion to it you can start getting to the bottom of the situation you know, providing examples of performance where, where the expectations may not have been met and then seeing if you can't find a pathway for them to improve their performance. Mm-hmm. And I, in my experience, I'm not going to lie, it doesn't fix every problem. You know, sometimes you can't wave a magic wand and fix the problem, but you can, and, and you got to be understanding what the expectations are. If a person is underachieving, then you can get them to their full potential maybe or, or towards it, but that doesn't mean that their full potential is still necessarily going to be great either. Um, but by and large, uh, you know, until you've kind of done all that due diligence and done all that work to to see and how you might be able to address it, uh, you're just people are going to start filling in the blanks with their own assumptions. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this person is just a jerk. This person is just incompetent. Whatever. Yeah. And yeah, that I, I, look, I've come across those two. You know, five percent mm-hmm. of the time, maybe whatever. That those mm-hmm. things happen, right? We don't want to. Yeah. But but the major significant majority of the time, in my experience again, patience and due diligence and being very open and transparent about the process and what you're trying to accomplish. You know, it's, it's, it's not alchemy. It's really just being diligent and being, and being thorough about this yields a lot of results. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, I, I see, and to your point, you know, uh, not addressing underperformance um, and letting it go is one of the surefire ways to, to, to fail as a leader and your organization, because, I see that a lot. It's the easiest thing to do to just do nothing. But I think that the the best leaders in the top organizations and the f- organizations and companies that are growing and continuing to get better and better are the ones where the leader is holding high standards, really high standards of themselves and their team. And yeah. they don't they don't they have very little tolerance when those standards are not met and they do something about it. They take action. So it's almost yeah. like that that 
that barometer or uh, you know gauge internally that internal thermostat that that lets them you know their level of acceptance of you know mediocrity. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, um, it's a very important for me expectations of everybody that works for me, and I tell them very clearly again upfront. This is what I expect, but those are just the same expectations I have. Is what I tell people I work for. Like you can expect me to come every day trying to do my level best to move the ball forward in every way I, that I need to, you know, mm -hmm. and I expect out of everyone. I think number one, setting that bar high, it gives people a goal to strive towards. And I think it's super useful. And, um, and then the other thing I think that kind of is a correlated that is that I know in my organization, I think in general as humans, we're somewhat conflict averse. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when you see it's easier, one reason why it's easier to let things kind of slide or sweep under the rug is because then you don't have to have, what you perceive is a conflict, like a, a conversation that potentially involves conflict. But in my mind, it doesn't necessarily involve conflict. It's uh, like it's trying to. I'm trying to make a positive. I'm trying to improve how we're operating here. I'm trying to improve right. what you do. Right. You know. Yeah, um, I don't think anybody wants to underperform. Nobody wants to be mediocre. Uh, they want to get better. They want to do better. But they, sometimes people don't even know it. Sometimes you might have C players that don't even know they're C players in an organization. They think they're a B or an A. Um, so that's, that's a, that's a failure there. Um, just to go back to something, you know, I, I, I have to imagine that, you know, the overall mission, uh, protecting us interests abroad and, and it may be consistent, but there's so many different changing circumstances that are like totally out of your control. You've got things that are going on in the local areas there and governments and pressures and, you know, external stuff and our government, how do you deal with that? And how do you, how do you keep your team moving the right way and rowing the boat in the same direction when you got sometimes probably on a day's notice or instant notice, you got now a whole new set of circumstances. Is that the case? Yeah. Um, you know, by and large, I mean, it really depends on what you're involved in. The policies usually, actually most policies don't change that much, like say from administration to administration, but sometimes they do. But a good example is last September, uh, we were, we thought we're, without getting into the mechanics of the U.S. Taliban agreement and all this, we, basically we thought we were close to an agreement with the Taliban that would allow, that would pave the way for them then to begin the process that would lead negotiations with the Afghan government and the war. Um, that was last September. And then uh, I was, I remember I was walking the special representative back to where the, he's going to take a helicopter to the airport to leave. And there was a suicide attack not too far outside the embassy. And you could feel the boom and all that. And then so we you know, ran to a bunker and, and, and did that. And then the next day, the president canceled all the work we'd done with a tweet, just like that. Um, and now the good news is, I'll say, is that that things eventually recovered, and we're very close right now to a situation where that is going to happen, where the, the two sides are going to get together. So we've concluded our deal with the Taliban and, and our agreement with the Afghan government, and now those two sides are going to sit together, hopefully in the next few weeks, to, to if not sooner, to actually do it. So the progress ended up getting made mm -hmm. in the long run, but. Um, it was a September day, I remember, and, and we were really kind of stoked, you know, we're like, oh, we've all this work we've been doing, you know, and then all of a sudden, literally just with the boom. Um, wow. And, you know, again, it, it, it you, you got to it's like you, you kind of get knocked down, you got to get back up. And what do you say to your team, though? I mean, they've got to all be like, what the you know, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the good news. Is, yeah. So the good news is, is that um, the leadership of the embassy at the time also was very supportive and understanding. And they actually pulled us all in and said, Hey, you know, our ambassador at the time had worked on the Bosnia peace deal or deputy chief mission worked on the Bosnia peace deal. He said, this happens, you know, you expect you're getting there and then you get knocked back and there's progress. Um, and then, 
you know, we, we, we had our own little huddle and people were upset. And, and my direct boss, the, um, he said, you know, look, this is going to happen, but we got a ton of other stuff we were going to be focused on. Uh, so we weren't just focused on the Taliban negotiations. We had others, other parts of the portfolio we were working on too. We were at a, you know, we were working on, on liaising with the international community, provide financial support for the peace process. We're working on, uh, uh, collecting attitudes from the Afghan people to understand how they felt about everything. We were working on preparing the Afghan government itself, like building their capacity to start to, to be ready to negotiate. So we had all these other initiatives we were involved in. And, and my boss basically said, hey, those things still continue. Uh, we still got to work on that. And then what we discovered is because the peace process had been so high profile in Afghanistan for the last few months, um, one of our team members went out and, and did a visit out in, into Eastern Afghanistan and everyone was like, well, when are you going to start back up? What's going on? And we started realizing how overwhelmingly powerful the want for peace is. And it makes sense. They've been at war for 40 years of some kind or another. Right. And so that then began informing our policy, our reporting back to Washington and to our front office and the people in Washington then on. So it kind of gave us a chance to see how, you know, it, it, it we try to make the most of it. Like they're uh, kind of highlight these other opportunities, which yielded some really useful information that then later um, allowed us to, to, you know, say with certainty and that, yeah, the, the desire for peace is really strong out there, which only kind of bolstered what we were doing. And in the end, it allowed us to kind of get back on track. That's good. Sometimes you, you live within the walls of your organization and you don't really take the pulse of what's really happening yeah, out yeah. there. And that's, uh, that, that feeds you, you know, when you really, yeah, getting that outside perspective really helped. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And, and that kind of, uh, and then it was also a couple of people went on leave, so they got to go recharge on vacation, all that. So it was a little, you know, but you gotta, you gotta, the first thing I do is get first moment in the face and kind of just kind of pick people up a little bit and then focus on what all these other important things that we were doing. Yeah. And then it, it worked out that, that, yeah. no, this has really got traction and this is really meaningful. And so, and that once that happened, then people really kind of, it really kind of picked everything up again. Yeah. That's good. Well, it's a lesson that they, they learn, but yeah, sometimes you've got the game changes or some external factor, you know, causes your game plan to shift or the results to change dramatically. And it's nothing that you did or your organization did. It's just something that happens. So, yeah. Um, so I know in a matter of days, That's you're correct. headed off to uh, Zimbabwe on your new, uh, new uh, role there. Um, and that's the uh, consular section chief of the U.S. Embassy there. So is that, it's, how, how are you feeling going into this? I mean, it's a new country. It's a new role. Uh, what What's your emotional and mental state? Uh, oh, boy, we don't have enough time for, for all of that. Um, it's good. I mean, the biggest thing is I haven't seen my family in a long time because uh, I was supposed to see him back in April, April, May, but then COVID killed that. You know, everything stopped traveling. So... So that's the kind of the first thing, just kind of reuniting my family is going to be, be good. And then, and then, um, you know, embassies, the, the, the job itself is a field that I, I've done other work in. So the, the, the kind of day-to-day details I'm pretty familiar with, uh, obviously a new team. And normally when you show up in an embassy first day, you get introduced to your new team and, and whatever, obviously that because of the COVID is not happening. We're on, I think an alternate week schedule or something like that. So, uh, um, yeah, it's going to be different for that. Uh, the good news is I've been in my 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 predecessor just left, so we don't usually have overlap either, which is kind of an unusual thing, but it's just the way it works in our system. But she and I have been in very good contact, so I have a pretty good idea of what I'm coming into. Um, and so, really, I'll I'll be spending most of my time trying to, you know, the, the, 
one of the things that in this line of work, one of the downfalls is when a new person comes in, the first thing they're, the temptation is to just change a bunch of stuff to show that they're in charge. Um, and that to me is, you know, I get the impulse, but I, everyone knows you when you're the boss because you sit in the boss's office. You don't need to show that. And so what I try to do is, is um, not change anything, at least for the first few weeks, unless there's something really glaring. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I have faith in, in what's going on. People, things evolve that way for a certain reason. And then, you you know, you can bring your own experience to bear over time and, and see if there's something that does need a little bit of tweaking. And then you can, you know, if you've got three years, you don't have to do everything in a day. You know, mm-hmm. you can take some time and all that. So, but my first real first few weeks will be spent just trying to familiarize myself with the country, with, you know, getting my family set up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm... 100% confident having talked you know, with my predecessor, there's nothing glaring going on. She's really good. So, so just trying not to upset the apple cart and make sure that the, what's, what's working is still working. And then, and then see, you know, um, if there's anything that I can tweak with or whatever, but, but yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So the first few, few weeks are always just that kind of, it's exciting, but it's stressful because you're in a new place, but then mm-hmm. got to figure out, I mean, it's all these random things you got to figure out, you know, and, yeah. and, your household effects will get shipped there eventually, but we don't know when because COVID has shut global shipping down. So we'll be living out of kind of our suitcases for a while, you know? Mm, um, yeah. But, uh, you That's know, so just kind of adapting to that. And then, but it gives you things to look forward to, right? Because then like, oh, you know, in two days, the household effects are coming, right? So suddenly yeah. you kind of, kind of extend your hold into that place and kind of settle down a little bit. You know? Yeah. Well, that's exciting. I know, you know, for you not to be able to see Lee and the kids, uh, you know, for, for months at a time, has got to be incredibly difficult. And now you get a whole new adventure and they're with you. So that's got to be great. And I'm sure they're excited. I'm they're probably, I guess, probably a little nervous going to, you know, a whole new country, but is that right? Or are they, are they more excited? Yeah, both. Yeah. Um, the good is, so they, they're in virtual school already uh, in Zimbabwe. So they already kind of, you know, they know their teachers and they're, they already kind of made virtual friends with a lot of their classmates. So that, I think that that's helping a lot too. And um, they're in the UK in London or in Wales, but we'll meet up in London, but that's only a one hour time difference from Zimbabwe. So they, you'll meet up on Saturday. We'll fly down there, get there Monday. They'll just like they always were only in, in location. But so that won't that part actually, I think might actually ease the transition a little bit already because that's one of the big things is the first day of school. So yeah. that's already kind of passed. And everyone is in the same boat there where they're all, you know, they're all kind of virtual this time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's exciting. Um, it's, 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 uh, yeah, it's both, man. It's, it's a nervous excitement, I guess, or excited nervousness. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. How long is that flight? So you fly from London to straight to Zimbabwe or back to DC first? Um, so I'm flying from London to, so Washington to London, we'll meet up in London and then we fly through, uh, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, and then to Harare. Okay. How long is that flying time? (laughs) I don't know. I've lived in Asia for the last, what, 10 years. So all the, if it's, if it's only seven or eight hours, I'm like, that's not even long enough to get, you know, get comfortable. So that's great. Yeah. I did. I did one 18 hour flight and that was, that was interesting. (laughs) But, uh, well, that's great for you. So just back to the team that you take over. So not knowing, and I've, I've, I've talked to a lot of leaders who are taking, taking on new teams, you know, and trying to build that camaraderie and everything like that. Difficult always, no matter what, more difficult now in COVID and having to do that virtual. What, what suggestions do you have? I mean, how do you get a new team kind of 
accustomed to a new team, accustomed to you, uh, setting expectations. I mean, what are, what are some of those things that you're, you're going to do? Yeah. So, so I should also differentiate there in the foreign service, we have different kinds of staff. So the team will be comprised of different. So there's, there's the local staff that work in the embassy that are locals in the country. We call them locally employed staff. Um, and then there's also your American foreign service officers. Uh, and there's a few other types of kind of people that we have in there, but those are the two main categories. So the local staff will always stay there and it's the foreign service officers that kind of rotate around. Um, so I, I try to I take a slightly different approach with each group. So with the American officers, as I mentioned earlier, I take, here's what you can expect of me. You know, I expect you to show up every day and be excellent and strive for excellence and, and do your best. I expect you to be polite and courteous to everybody. Um, because part of what I'm doing in the concert section is a customer-focused uh, role because we've got American citizens coming in for new passports or foreigners coming to get visas. So there's a customer service aspect to it. So I expect to be courteous to them. Um, I expect you to tell me if you think I'm being doing something wrong. I expect you to give me honest feedback because I need that. Otherwise, I won't know. Um, and uh, I'm sure there's something else. Uh, and then I say in response, you can expect me to do the same thing, to be honest with you. Uh, and, and, you know, if I will give you all the responsibility I can, you know, all the, whatever. And I'll, do, I'll, I'll, my, I always joke, my goal is to try to, 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 uh, to, to, uh, delegate every ounce of responsibility I have. And I, I never quite succeed in it, but I'm happy to delegate everything if I can. Um, and then I say like, you know, but, and, you know, if it goes good, you get all the credit, if it goes bad, it's still my responsibility. And I take all the blame. Uh, and I, I'm very honest with that. Like, I'm not ever going to be confused for a micromanager. Like, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm on the other end of the spectrum. But one of the downsides of that is you can be too hands off. So I said, I got to know that you know what you're doing because I'm, I want to be hands off. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, if you go too far to that and I don't know what you're doing and suddenly I get a call from the ambassador, he says, hey, what's so-and-so doing? And I don't know. Then, then that mm -hmm. looks bad on me. So I got to make yeah. sure we communicate what we're doing. And, right. you know, um, how do you have you then, always been a good delegator? Yeah. 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 So what so. I've always liked to. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I mean, there's a lot of people that struggle with it. I struggled with it at times. You know, you kind of have you get the control freak in you that wants to do everything. So how do you but you you've been always good at that. What would you tell somebody that's not? I mean, how do you how do you go from not being good at delegating to being good at it? Um well, I think, you know, again, I think these things exist on a spectrum. And some people may be a little bit more wanting to get under the hood, and some people a little bit less. And as long as you're close enough to the middle, I think you're okay. Mm -hmm. um, I think, uh, I think the person that's not great at delegating needs to work on looking at what's most effective. You're always going to be more effective if you can effectively delegate if you're in a large operation. And, and you look at it from a perspective, I think if I had to guess, since I don't know, I don't occupy the body or mind or soul of a, of a, of a person who doesn't delegate, you know, I'd guess that they're the reason that people want to delegate is because they, they or don't want to delegate is because they want to make sure everything is right um and 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 right means effective and i would say if you're at any organization of any decent size small to mid, you know decent size if you want to be effective you got to trust the people that work under you so do what you need to, to develop that trust so that you know what they're doing and then let them do it and trust that they're going to come and tell you if they have a problem mm -hmm. um which actually luke takes me back to one of the things is I'll tell people, if you have a problem, I want you to try to solve it before you bring it to me. Don't bring a problem that you can't solve to me unless mm -hmm. it's like, like, I don't know, like 50, 50, or I just don't know. I need your advice on this. So that's one thing, but don't come to me and say, Hey, 
you know, the computer's not, you know, the, the, the copier's not working. Because the first thing we say is, well, did you try to plug it in? I don't know. Uh, you know, what did you try to do to fix it? Mm -hmm. um, and again, that's the attitude I take upstairs too. I'm never going to take, a, a, or almost never going to take a problem without a solution, even if it's not the right one. So I want that from them too. So that's that's the kind of the first step, just to go back to your original question about like, how do you, you know, take it on a new team? So that's, I will just be very clear about expectations. And those are kind of generally my expectations. Mm -hmm. I also tell people, if you do all this for me and we develop a good working relationship and, 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 and I will take care of you for the rest of your career in terms of references and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, because we're an institution and we need people to take care of the institution too. So yeah. I view my role as trying to mentor these people into being good stewards of the institution. And if they do that, then I'll, I'll take care of them. Wow. Um, and so one is to set up those expectations and understandings. Um, and then I think, and I do a version of that with like the senior local staff, but often they're a different hierarchy. And so you don't necessarily want to upset that hierarchy without knowing what you're doing because we work in different cultures and societies, um, which is like another long discussion, but you want to make sure you don't upset that, that hierarchy, but make sure those expectations are very clear um, and make sure that you understand that I always tell them right off the bat that like you guys have been working great without me here. So as I said earlier, you know, like, I'm not going to go in and just try to change a bunch of stuff just because I'm the new guy in charge. Right. Like I said, mm -hmm. you know, I'm the new guy in charge. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm in charge because I'm in the corner office. I don't need to fix about it, I, you know? Yeah. And so, um, and so, but I'm going to be, you know, checking on how you're doing and, and see, and I want you, I want you to be able to explain to me what you're doing. Um, and, and, you know, and then we'll work together like that. And so, I think being upfront with your expectations and, and, and again, going back to like just setting a example and positive tone. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, yeah, I think that's a, probably how you start. And then just kind of, you do enter a period of kind of being watchful yeah. um, and, uh, and, and building those relationships with everybody and, and kind of yeah. capitalizing on that. I know we're uh, running short on time, but I got another one, one more question for you. So, you know, you're all these different areas geographically and different cultures and just different social styles of people. Um, what are your thoughts or comments on leadership versatility and how important or unimportant? Is it the same style that you kind of get comfortable with? Do you adapt your style? Are you looking for different social styles or personalities and weighing that in or what? I mean, I think I generally have an adaptable style. Um, I mean, there's some bedrock principles, you know, we have, we're, we're, look, we, we work for the American people. Uh, we have ethics requirements. We have, you know, we have, uh, we have, there's something called the foreign affairs manual that guides what we do. That's basically our, our doctrine that we have to follow. So there's some non-negotiables and, and, you know, there's legal, you know, like, malfeasance, misfeasance, blah, 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 stuff like that. So bedrock non-negotiables, we all have to operate on. Um, but then beyond that, like I'll give an example, a really interesting example. So when I worked in the Middle East in, in Qatar, all my staff were Arabs. Um, they were Arabs from different parts of the Arab world because they're, they're, all the local staff there were from other parts of the world. Um, but I would walk in in the morning and because I was the boss, they would, you know, if they were talking to a, a customer at the window or something like that, they would stop, one second, sir. Hey boss, how you doing? How's the family? How's your wife? How's the kids? You know, have a good night's sleep, blah, blah, blah. And I'd have to say that to every single one of them and have that just few moments of greeting. And they would all cut off what they were doing and talk to the boss. And because the person on the other side of the window was usually also an Arab uh, or from that part of the world, let's say, um, they understood that culturally, that's what you have to do. That was the boss that walked in. And of course, you're going to talk to the boss. Of course, you got to do that. I'm not at all worried that you stopped communicating with me because the guy in the suit just walked in and I got to talk, you got to talk to him and understand. So that was it. It was very, and then when I went to Hong Kong, where the value is, is efficiency and, um, and, you know, uh, they want to show their worth because they're really hardworking people who, not that, not that in the Middle East, they weren't, they're also very hardworking people, yeah. but the way that they showed it. So I would walk in 
And I'd be like, hey, guys, you're like, I'm busy, hold on. Uh, and at first I was like, whoa, man, what? what's going on here? <laughs> and then I realized it's because they wanted to show that they were getting through their work. And that's how they showed the same kind of respect to their boss was by showing that they were good employees and hard workers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, wow. and so, you know, you take those two very like, polar opposite approaches, right? And they're both effective. They're both outstanding professionals and joys and honors to work with, you know? Yeah. Um, so for me, like, uh, it would be wrong if I went into Hong Kong and said, hey, you need to stop and talk to me every morning, you know, because then you're forced into something that's really kind of against their yeah. values. And plus, then the other people have to pick up the work that they were doing while they were talking to me, you know. Right. So I would still walk by and say good morning. And it's like, hey, you know, but just because I'm a polite, I'm from Texas. And in Texas, we are very polite to people, I think, you know. Yeah. And, and I was fine. I'm like, hey, guys, hey, guys, hey, hey, okay, boom. And then I just go back to my, you know, my, my main office, you know. So, wow. so I think you, you, for me, I have these kind of, you know, these bedrock things that we have to do, right? Have accountability we have to have. Um, and then it kind of goes back and forth in between that. And I'm an extrovert, so I like to talk to people anyway. So a lot of times what I do is just find it and talk to someone when they had a break or when they were, you know, kind of done with their main part of their work or whatever. That's outstanding, man. I love it. Love it. Love it. Well, I, uh, I have all the admiration and respect for you and I appreciate what you're doing and, uh, I wish you all the best in this new, uh, chapter of your life. That's exciting. Three years you're there, right? And, uh, that's the game plan. Well, it's, it's two and I'll, I'll, I'll probably extend for a third year. Cause then, yeah, we'll get my son through high school that way and, uh, yeah. and then figure out the rest from there. Good yeah. stuff, man. Excellent. Any parting words you want to share with our uh, audience? Any uh, final words of wisdom? Thanks for listening. Uh, I hope it was helpful. And to me, the most important thing is be authentic to yourself. Awesome. Great stuff. Well, we're here with Alex Avalamont, who is uh, on his way to Zimbabwe in the next few days as the consular section chief at US at the U.S. Embassy. Um, greatly appreciate you coming on, Alex. This has been absolutely fantastic. So uh, great. We'll, we'll look forward to uh, getting this out there to the audience yeah. and hopefully having you Thanks back. Thanks for the invite. Time. And I've enjoyed it. Too. I really enjoyed it just as much. So thank you very much. Good stuff. Well, thanks everybody for listening. This has been another episode of tom- uh, Tomorrow's Leader. Uh, make sure you like, uh, comment, share, uh, subscribe, all that kind of good stuff. And keep in mind, coming up on Tuesday, September 22nd from 5 to 6.30, we have a live leadership la- uh, mastermind. I invite you to that. If you're interested in the uh, sign-up or registration information, just personal message me uh, or put uh, some comments uh, there. Reach out to me directly, whatever you like. And I'll get that to you. So again, thanks for joining. Alex, thanks again. Safe travels. And we wish you all the best. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader. For suggestions or inquiries about having me at your next event or personal coaching, reach me at john at loritogroup.com. Once again, that's J-O-H-N at L-A-U-R-I-T-O-G-R-O-U-P dot com. Thanks. Lead on.